Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Meals for Maturity. Someone has said the whole Bible is given to us to make us whole Christians. And so as we take up and study the sword of the Spirit, or rather we let God's Word study us, and by the, by the Holy Spirit, he, he promises to transform us into the image of Christ, into the image of Jesus day by day. Sometimes that happens smoothly. Other times it happens kicking and screaming because of our sinful nature. Sometimes that change happens quickly in our hearts, in our minds, in our behaviour. Other times it's a slow transformation work happening. But the promise of Philippians 1 verse 6 always rings true for the Christian that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we turn to Joel chapter 2 and we ask, well, what does it mean to respond to God's word? What good work will God do in you and me from this part of his Bible? Remember back to Joel chapter 1, this unforgettable disaster, this devastating locust plague has come upon Joel and, and God's people in the Old Testament. We don't know exactly when this part of Holy Scripture is taking place, but clearly in this prophecy, the Old Testament temple is in action. But we don't know if this is the first temple built under King Solomon or is this the second temple built after the exile. But as I mentioned last time, in many ways, that makes the prophecy of Joel timeless and to our advantage because it can be applicable to any generation of God's people, whether BC or AD. BC is not before COVID, by the way. Referring back to chapter 1 of Joel, pastor and author John MacArthur writes, As if building toward a crescendo, the prophet noted in the first stanza that the luxuries of life were withdrawn. In the second, the elements needed to worship were interrupted. In the third, the essentials for living were snatched away. To lose the enjoyment of wine was one thing. To no longer be able to outwardly worship God was another. But to have nothing to eat was the sentence of death. So as we study Joel chapters 1 and 2, I like to think of uh, CGI movies, you know, computer-generated images, where it seems the locusts here morph into this invading army of soldiers. So we start with the locusts in chapter 1, but we end up with this metaphor, this image of an invading army in chapter 2. That would make for a pretty awesome movie, I think, with, with the spin-off of great Lego toys of locust army warriors sort of being built. But the locusts in Joel chapter 1 are real and they are devastating. And they bring to mind, to Joel, another unforgettable cataclysmic event that will fall upon the earth and her peoples. Here in Joel chapter 2, he's describing the day of the locusts in poetic language and Joel is describing the day of the Lord, like Amos and the Zed brothers, Zephaniah and Zechariah also do. Here in chapter 2, because of this current crisis of locusts everywhere, locusts in the field, in the fridge, in the footlocker, there's no can of mortine that's going to rid you of these little beasts. He's saying locusts are everywhere and they impact all of your life, including the worship of God through the temple and the priests and the sacrificial system. And because of this current disaster, Joel is pointing us to a more distant time. So let's hear Nerida read 
Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And unfortunately, I didn't get her to read outside at dusk with locusts uh, chirping away. That would have been a great soundtrack to have uh, as this chapter is being read. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will it be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way, they do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another, each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Joel is doing here in this chapter what I call milkshake theology. That is, he's blending two events He's, and he's putting them both together, the day of the locusts with the day of the Lord. And then he's switching the blender on, so we get this poetic chapter of vivid images profiling a day that is yet to come. We see this from time to time across the Old Testament. Two events are blended, they're, they're, they're milkshaked together. So think of the famous Isaiah 7 and the prophecy given to King Ahaz at the time, but it's also about the virgin birth of King Jesus. Remember Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So milkshake theology also happens with the promises given to King David about his son in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Immediately, it's talking about King Solomon, the birth of David's son. Yet, futuristically, it's speaking about King Jesus and his throne that will endure forever. Well, here in Joel, the the prophet is blending two events together, the day of the locusts with the day of the Lord. He's already hinted at this back in chapter 1, verse 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. This day of the Lord you find across both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, it's the day where God summons the whole world to either judgment or blessing. It's judgment day for every person. No one escapes this day of reckoning. Yet, blessing is poured out upon the repentant sinner in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we still find this expression, the day of the Lord. We're just given a few more details. It's now called the day of the Lord Jesus. 
Uh, so in Philippians, for example, or 2 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, Hey Jude, Revelation, all this reference to the day of Christ, the day of the Lord comes up. Uh, now, it's a day when, of course, all must give an account of our life based on God's revelation to us. And the picture of the plagues of locusts in Joel is not a new one either, showing us God's judgment. God's done it all before. Remember the plagues upon Egypt in the book of Exodus. And he'll do it again in the plagues or the bowls of wrath in Revelation 15 and 16. Even the way Joel chapter 2 begins with the blowing of the trumpet, the sounding of the alarm, of the alarm even that's carried forward into the New Testament. Like an air raid siren during World War II, the locusts here are like a siren. They're like an alarm telling us, warning us that judgment day is coming. And in Revelation chapter 9, after the fifth trumpet is blasted, we're even given locust-like language to describe God's judgment upon the earth. Why is Joel doing this blending work of the two happenings, the locust plague with the day of the Lord? Why is he doing this? Well, because ultimately he wants, he's wanting to wake up God's people from any form of spiritual complacency. And as we'll see next time, he's stirring them up in order to bring them to repentance, in order to return, for them to return to God. And he's reminding them and us in the Lord Jesus of a future day of the Lord, a day full of blessings or complete with judgment. Now, across chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, that narrator read, did you hear the word like? Joel is using imagery to describe the locust invasion, and he uses the word like, like other Bible writers do at times, to describe the indescribable. So he's using metaphors and images and words to capture something that an ordinary description doesn't quite do. It's why we use the word like. Apart from teenagers who like put every like second word like into a like sentence. But here, Joel's trying to describe these locusts in poetic language. And so they are like, verse 4, an army of war horses. They're like the crackling of fire, verse 5. They're like a, a powerful army of soldiers and warriors, verse 5 and, and verse 7. And the day is like, verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, blackness is covering a mountain. The land of Israel was once like the Garden of Eden, verse 3, but now that's been reversed. And desolate wilderness is all that remains, this apocalyptic wasteland, like the setting of a Mad Max movie or my son-in-law's favourite movie, The Book of Eli, which is not found in the Bible, I need to remind him. Finally, we're told in this passage that the locusts are like the Lord's soldiers or God's army. So God is the one who orchestrates this devastating plague upon his people. Like in the creation act, God speaks and blessings come forth in the creation of the world. Well, now God speaks and judgment falls upon the earth. Verse 11a, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. So the locusts move at God's command. He is their commander-in-chief. It reminds me of Psalm 148, where the creation acts on God's behalf. Psalm 148, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deep, fire and hail, snow and mist, 
stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. They're all obedient to the voice of their creator. Well, these locusts are reminding Joel of another devastating day to come, which will be at God's command. And this day will be great and very awesome and to be feared. And the question asked right at the end of verse 11 can only be answered in the negative. Who can endure such a day? Who can stand and come out looking successful before the throne of God? Who can stand and plead their case of sin and rebellion before their maker and judge of us all? Who can endure such a day? Well, right at the start of chapter 2, Nerida read, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Across the Bible, trumpets are used to get God's people's attention. Like an early warning system, it, it rings out to capture everyone's attention, everyone's ears. And perhaps those deaf across the Bible will rely on others and their kindness to, to warn them what's happening. In our day and age, we have all sorts of sophisticated early warning systems, especially in wealthy nations, don't we? Early warning systems for cyclones, hurricanes, volcanoes, tsunamis, floods, sometimes even bushfires that are quickly out of control. We have here in Australia, watch and act, which I think translates panic, run and hide, get out of there quick, especially if you're in the Blue Mountains in the middle of fire season with friends at a CMS summer school. Let the listener understand. Now we can check our phones for a weather app. Though when it says 13 degrees for a Canberra winter's day, those who've lived here know that actually means it will hit 13 degrees at 3pm and it'll last for three minutes before dropping rapidly to three degrees, which feels like minus 13. But how good is it to live in Canberra with a real four seasons and a puffer jacket as the Canberra uniform? But praise God for early warning systems in our day and age that often help us prepare for weather patterns that might harm and hinder. Sadly, in poorer regions of our world, there's not necessarily these sophisticated million-dollar systems put in place. But then sometimes they don't work anyway, or they're not that accurate, at least not as accurate as God's creation can sometimes be. Just ask the ants, or the birds, or the bees, or even cicadas. Shortly before 8am on December 26, 2004, on the Andaman Islands, so this is in the Bay of Bengal, near the coast of Burma and Thailand, so the northeast region in the Indian Ocean, that morning the cicadas became eerily silent as the ground shook a little. Now, if you've heard cicadas and their early morning call or their dusk sing-song, you would know that when they go silent, it's sort of like a deafening silence. Well, on the Andaman Islands, there's an isolated tribal group uh, of people called the Mokan people. They're semi-nomadic hunter-gatherers, especially of seafood, since there's so much water around them. So too bad if you don't like prawns or fish fingers, I suppose. But when the Mokan people heard the cicadas, or rather when they didn't hear them that particular Boxing Day morning, they immediately knew that danger was coming. You see, they have a word to describe the wave that eats people, 
we call it a tsunami. They call it the laboon. So when the cicadas stopped their screeching around 8am that morning, the Moken people knew that the laboon was coming, the wave that eats people. And so because of this early warning system, designed by God himself, the elders of the Moken people quickly told their children and their families to run to higher ground. Laboon is coming, laboon is coming, run immediately to the hills. And there were similar stories across Thailand of elephants and buffalo running to higher ground before the waters crashed uh, across these islands. Well, tragically, as we know, the, the Boxing Day tsunami of 2004 hit the Indian Ocean, killing around 225,000 people across 14 countries. It was an horrendous natural disaster as our creation groaned under the curse of sin and death and decay. But remarkably, when investigators eventually toured parts of the Andaman Islands after the tsunami had hit, they went there to survey the damage. Remarkably, the loss of life among the Moken people was significantly lower than what was expected or compared to other countries where the tsunami had hit. Our study ends today in Joel chapter 2, verse 11. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Because there's no specific date or time frame to Joel's message, this prophecy stands for all time, which is why we can grab it and learn from it centuries later. And we can learn that the locusts represent God's early warning system to Joel's people. First, the trumpets are sounded to get their attention, and then the locusts arrive. The locusts are coming. The locusts are coming. For us, it won't be locusts or cicadas or kookaburras or ants warning us about the day of the Lord still to come. Rather, we've already been warned, haven't we, across the pages of Scripture, especially in the New Testament. And there will be certain signs to indicate this is the last of the last days happening. But besides all that, as Christian people, we're called, we're commanded to be ready, to be alert, to be sober-minded, self-controlled. We're called to be people who walk by faith. As Jesus will say, did I find faith on the earth? Well, we want the answer to be yes, he does. He does find people of faith, a people perhaps even a minority across Christian churches today who take seriously the Christian life of trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So God has warned uh, across his Bible, he's warned us across his Bible that one day, the day of the Lord will arrive. Will you be ready? Will Jesus find you as one who has faith, as one who trusts and obeys? May that be you this coming week. And perhaps listen out for cicadas if you happen to walk along a beach and run to the hills if you hear them stop. To God be the glory. Thanks for listening to Hills for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.